Welcome back to Live the Legacy podcast, a project brought to you by the Andrew Goodman Foundation. This week, I am joined by Clarissa Unger, the co-founder and executive director of the Students Learn, Students Vote Coalition, or SLSV. Clarissa has a background in advocacy, communications, fundraising, and political campaigns, and has worked on strategic campaigns both nationally and internationally. Prior to founding the SLSV Coalition, she served as the development coordinator for the Robert J. Dole Institute of Politics at the University of Kansas, where she helped to promote civic and democratic engagement on campus. Clarissa has a master's in public administration and a BA in political science and international studies from the University of Kansas, and has her master's in comparative European politics from Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland. Today, we are also joined by Danny Fersh, the communications director at SLSV. Before joining the SLSV coalition, Danny worked for more than three years at Laurel Strategies, where he crafted and executed communication strategies for leaders in technology. Prior to Laurel Strategies, Danny spent three years teaching English as a second language to both children and adults while living in Spain. He is a graduate of Syracuse University with a BS in broadcast journalism and a minor in Spanish. Without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. Well, welcome back to Live a Legacy podcast. I'm really, really excited because I'm joined today by Clarissa Unger and Danny Fersh. And I just want to let them introduce themselves because I love hearing people's personal introductions. So Clarissa, over to you first. Who is Clarissa Unger? Not just your work, but like, what do you like to do for fun? Oh, what what do I do for fun outside of work? Well, Mo, thank you so much for having us here. It's great to be here with you. Very excited for this conversation. Um, yes, my name is Clarissa Unger. I am the co-founder and executive director of the Students Learn, Students Vote Coalition. Um, outside of work, I am originally from Kansas, though I now live in Washington, D.C., but that does mean I am a big Jayhawk fan, and I'm very excited for the upcoming final four. Um, what do I like to do outside of work besides watch basketball, um, college basketball in particular? I also like to hike, like to spend time with friends and family, love reading books, though they typically relate to the work that we do, I will admit. Um, but that's, that's me in a nutshell. I love that. I am a huge basketball fan as well. And I also have a bad habit of just reading books that have to do with my work. So I'm right there with you. Um, Danny, over to you. Who is Danny and what do you like to do? Um, Well, hi, uh, I'm Danny Fersh. I'm the communications director at the Students Learn Students Vote Coalition. Um, I've been at SLSV for about 13 months now. Um, And um, I am, like Clarissa, a big basketball fan, but I would say overall a total sports nut. Every interaction with me tends to end up either in the territory of me talking about one of my preferred sports teams or dad jokes, just like awful puns. It's one or the other. Um, I try, I try to vary it up, but it really ends up being unsuccessful if I'm being honest. That's hilarious. I love that. 
Um, I'm not going to put you on the spot, although I feel the urge to ask you for a dad joke, but we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> um, so thank y'all. you. You can put him on the spot. He's really good at this. Really? <laughs> what do you got for us, Danny? So, I mean, like I, there needs to be some context. I would say um, for now, like the dad jokes for me are kind of like um, how you tell if somebody's a marathon runner, which is don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> don't worry. Like they'll let you know. They'll, they'll come out. Yeah. If it's not the sticker on the back of the car, they'll let you know at some point. <laughs> exactly. There'll be 26.2 of something in the conversation and they will point it out. Exactly. I love that. Um, well, again, thank you both so much for being here. I'm really excited about this interview. Um, season two has just been full of incredible people, incredible guests who are doing work that's really changing the landscape of our democracy. Um, so I couldn't be more thrilled to sit down with the both of you and talk about the power of the youth vote and what SLSV is doing. So let's just start right there. Clarissa, what is SLSV? What is the work that you're doing? And what are you focusing on at the moment? Well, SLSV refers to the Students Learn, Students Vote Coalition. Um, we are the largest network in the national hub uh, for student voting, nonpartisan student voting in the country. So we work to bring together students, campus administrators, faculty members, nonprofit organizations, philanthropists, um, any and everyone that might have an interest in getting young people out to vote and helping them to overcome the barriers uh, to the voting process um, to do just that. Um, so just for a little bit of background, we started the coalition in early 2016, um, primarily because uh, there is a provision in the Higher Education Act that requires colleges and universities to provide or to make a good faith effort to provide voter registration for their students. But we knew at the time that they weren't really, a lot of them weren't really doing that. And the Department of Education wasn't really making them comply with that either or enforcing that in any way. And so we initially wanted to start by just encouraging the Department of Education to do a little bit more to make sure that campuses know that that's a requirement uh, through federal law. Um, but that didn't happen at the time. So we instead developed an entire coalition to help support this entire ecosystem of folks that are um, really hoping and wanting to make sure that young people and students are able to make their voices heard in our electoral process. Um, some of the things that we're excited about this year or working on, there's a lot and so many different things that we could get into. Um, since we launched the coalition in 2016, our work has grown pretty immensely. Um, and we have programs that are focused on everything from helping to integrate voter registration into um, orientations or the classroom, just different systems and processes that campuses already have available to them, um, to also really just making democracy more fun and celebratory. So we have a program called Campus Takeover as well um, that works to help campuses and students and young people really celebrate all the different parts of being engaged in elections from voter registration to education to turnout. That's incredible. It sounds like y'all are very, very busy. Um, and I love the focus on the youth vote, the student vote. Um, and maybe Danny, I can throw this over to you. Why, why is that? Why is SLSV focused on the student vote? Um, why is the student vote so important? So I would say the student vote is so important, at least I think there's an SLSB answer and then there's one for me personally. And I think as background, you should know that um, I'm, um, by SLSB standards, I'm sort of a transplant in this, in this space. 
Um, I'm the only one member of our team who came to the SLSV coalition without a, a background in um, student vote organizing or just organizing in general. I came from um, uh, the job before this that I had was in the corporate world. And what appealed to me about it and what I think for me makes the youth vote so important, less youth vote than youth voters, the sustainability of it, the long-term um, of it, the fact that the work that we do working with youth voters, building nonpartisan civic engagement habits, uh, helping them engage with their communities, with the people around them, um, and you know, with with their elections in ways that um, can be repeated and are productive and are helpful to their communities, creates um, lifelong engaged citizens that I think is the real engine toward long-term sustainable change. Elections come and go, candidates come and go, different political trends come and go, but engaged citizens who care about uh, the world around them and understand how to impact them, impact the world around them. Um, that's the key to long-term sustained change. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that for me and the work that I've been able to do working with young people is just like their passion and their like drive to make change is something that we need moving forward. Um, because I think that we all know that things can get really difficult and we can kind of burn out. And so having that that youth-driven passion and desire and knowledge is just so, um, it's so key. What what about you, Clarissa, can, if I can ask you the same question, like why, why is SLSV so focused on the student vote and why is that important? Absolutely. Well, I kind of touched on this a little bit already um, in just sort of the founding of SLSV. So um, going back to when we we founded the coalition, which was, as I mentioned, in 2016, in that election, student voting in particular, <clears throat> so student vote is a little bit different from the youth vote. We focus primarily on student voting, um, which, you know, spans all different ages, but is primarily, you know, first-time voters who are 18, 19, 20, but also a lot older in some cases as well. Um, but student voting in 2016 was at about 48%. So of all the students in the country, even though there was is this federal law that says that campuses should be helping them get registered and become a part of our democratic process, we still weren't reaching and turning out even half of the students that were eligible. And so um, we saw that this very powerful ability through higher education institutions to mobilize this part of the electorate. And so really, in a sense, SLSB is a bit of an experiment to see what institutions can do. We interact with different types of institutions um, every day throughout our lives, whether those be, um, you know, local uh, government offices, churches, schools, higher ed institutions. Um, but we sort of had this built-in audience and this built-in mechanism because of what's in the Higher Education Act to see what could be possible if higher ed institutions in particular um, really do everything that they can to organize their communities to get them out to vote. That's awesome. Um, in our last episode, we actually talked about the, the importance of the institution helping um, with voter accessibility and voter registration and things like that and making sure that, um, you know, they have the resources and knowledge and understanding of how they can be supporting their students um, and the wider community wherever they're located to, to get out the vote. Um, so I love that y'all are also 
doing that same work. Um, so being like one of the largest nonpartisan student voting coalitions, I'm sure that you're collecting like a lot of data. You're seeing a lot of trends. Uh, can we talk about some of the youth voting trends that happened in the 2020 election? Um, and then like part B of that would be, what can we expect moving forward um, with the youth vote? We have the midterms this year, people are right in the middle of their state primaries. Um, what can we expect from the youth vote moving forward? Um, and who wants to take that one first? I'll leave that one up to y'all. I can start it and Danny, feel free to jump in here at any point. Um, well, we love talking about the youth turnout and student turnout in the 2020 elections. Um, folks that are listening to this podcast might be already aware that it was pretty incredible what we saw in 2020. And it has been for the last couple of years in, in federal elections. Um, so I mentioned in 2016, the youth vote was at about, oh, I, I guess, 52%. I may have misquoted that. But we know from the Institute for Democracy and Higher Education at Tisch College that uh, youth voting was at 52% in the 2016 election. And that jumped to 66% in the 2020 election, which was incredible. So it was a 14-point jump, which was twice the jump of the general population's increase, which I don't think enough people are talking about. <laughs> I think people should be talking about this more because that's incredible because not only did college students double the incredible growth of the general population and turnout, they also reached the turnout levels of the general population, which was about 66, 67% as well. Um, all while in the middle of this pandemic, which of course everyone, you know, was facing and everyone had to, to deal with all, all of the things that were going on and all of the challenges that that put on all of our lives. But in particular, college students were all over the place. And in many cases, they didn't exactly know where they were going to be on election day or once voting happened. So they also had to face the additional challenges of deciding whether to register at, to vote at home or register to vote on their campus. Um, and they did it and they turned out in a huge way. So Danny, feel free to jump in here if there's anything else you want to add to that. So um, it should be noted that I had not joined uh, the SSB coalition until 2021. So the um, everything that I witnessed you know, that happened during 2020, I heard about secondhand and witnessed firsthand only as a voter and an observer. Um, what I do know studying after the fact is yes, that, um, that students turn out in just humongous fashion and that um, coming in after that incredible wave of enthusiasm and participation, it was um, really cool to join this movement. What was clearly after a sea change moment, you know, it's no longer, um, we can do away with any public narrative about college students not voting. They are officially as likely to vote as um, the rest of the population. And not only that, they were um, sort of this incredible engine behind um, voter participation, civic participation. Um, college students were um, a huge part of a lot of um, local districts, um, lo local election official offices, uh, volunteer bodies helping them administer elections in a lot of places where it wasn't safe for older volunteers to um, help out. And um, just generally were a total force in the 2020 election. Yeah, and Mo, you also asked, what should we expect from the youth vote in the future too? So I want to make sure to touch on that. You know, we not only did we see that huge jump in 2020, but also in the last midterm election in 2018, we saw a huge jump as well. 
um, in that election, college student voting in particular jumped from 19% in 2014 to 40% um, in 2018. So more than doubling, which is just wild. Um, so with you know the trends that we're seeing, um, you know there is a lot of talk about the upcoming midterms and what's going to happen if and if young people are going to turn out or if they're you know either disappointed by what's going on on the national level or um, you know just dis- starting to disengage at all. But um, we're really hopeful because we've seen these trends the last couple of years and we know that you know voting is habitual and once people start to do it and do it the first time, they're more likely to do it again. So, um, you know, we really think that we're going to see another big uh, turnout of young people in the upcoming midterm elections and hopefully in the local elections to follow in the following year in the presidential election in 2024. So um, don't don't discount the, the youth, which I know you don't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I love this answer. I think this is exactly the heart of um, this season of the podcast. It's just youth do vote. Like Danny, you said it so well, like you can't say anymore that students don't care, that students won't go vote, that youth won't be civically engaged. Like the proof is in the pudding, right? Like the numbers are there. We care. We want to get out and use our voice. And I think that, you know, it's, it's up to these coalitions, these organizations to continue to kind of like, fuel that that passion and that engagement and so it's so important the work that slsv is doing and is going to continue to do and i'm i'm really excited to see how the how the trends will play out um even with all the disappointment and all the things that are like really frustrating like we really want some federal voting legislation like that would be awesome like and so how are we going to be taking kind of like that frustration and maybe using that to continue to propel forward um and hopefully get something passed, like goodness gracious, <laughs> wouldn't that be great? Um, so, you know, this show is called Live the Legacy, um, and it's called that for a reason. You know, the Andrew Goodman Foundation exists to live the legacy of Andrew Goodman, James Earl Cheney, and Michael Schwerner. Um, and so I would love to hear from y'all, is there anybody that you're living the legacy for? Is there anybody that's inspired you to do the work that you're doing right now? And Clarissa, Danny, who would like to go first? So I'm happy to go first here. Um, and I would say the person that um, probably inspired me most to get into this line of work um, is my dad. Um, my dad is uh, a guy who um, moved to D.C. in the mid-70s, um, kind of in the mold of a lot of the younger people who moved to D.C. who, who have been coming here forever, which was that he, you know, wanted to change the world for the better. He had a long career um, in the federal government and on Capitol Hill and then um, in the nonprofit sector. And for the last um, 20 or so years, he's been working essentially to help people um, build bridges, create policy ideas, and make the world better across differences, bridging people together um, who have different ideologies and ways of attacking problems with the understanding that People who have similar goals, but different perspectives, often vastly varying perspectives, can somehow, can oftentimes come up with even better solutions because they think about things um, holistically because they're considering different different aspects of different things. Um, and this, I, I find his work and his career inspiring. He's somebody I look up to a lot. Um, and he's also 
been known to fire off some incredible dad jokes. So just all in all, um, a big time role model for me. Oh, I love that answer. Thanks for sharing, Danny. Clarissa, what about you? Well, first I have to say, I really, I've told Danny this many times, but I really hope that one day I get to meet his dad. I haven't had the chance to yet. Um, This is such a great question. I have to say, I don't know that there's like a single person that I am living the legacy for. Um, I think that I do this work um, and I show up every day just for all of the young people that are out there now to, you know, make sure that they have opportunities to participate in our elections, to make their voices heard. Um, And I think the reason for this goes back to my own personal background and my own personal story. I went to the University of Kansas for my undergrad. And at the time, which was a while ago, quite a while ago, um, I I felt like I was really looking for something to be a part of um, for, you know, some community and some connection. And I came to the University of Kansas from a very small rural community. Um, and I ended up getting involved in elections there and started doing this work when I was an undergrad myself. And it really, I think, changed the entire course of my life. Obviously, I'm now doing this work still today. Um, but I had the opportunity you know, to work on a presidential campaign. It was happened to be uh, President Obama's campaign uh, way back in 2007 and 2008. Um, and all the opportunities that I've had have really come from that experience. And I've just learned so much um, and gotten to you know, do this work both in the U.S. and also abroad. And so I think I, I do this work just for all the young people, every young person, just so that they know, you know, what it's like to really be a part of our democracy and um, to really be active in it and to know, just to have that feeling that you are a part of something bigger. Um, that's it. Yeah, I think that those, both those answers show like, there's individual influence sometimes in people's life. And then there's like this mosaic of influence that we experience as human beings, just like living our lives. So I think that's really cool that, you know, we had one example of somebody who was like, this was a really specific person that I want to live their legacy out. And then there's like other people who are like, it may not be, it may be one, it may be both, right? Like it could be just like a combination of everything, but there's like this, this movement, this sense of collection and belonging and that we're in this together. That's just so beautiful. So Again, appreciate those answers. Those were wonderful. So, you know, we're living in some really difficult times. Um, There are a lot of hard things happening right now, whether it's like the extreme anti-voter laws that are being passed all over the country, or if it's like this global pandemic that we're still not on the other side of, or more recently, this war in Ukraine where there's these heartbreaking stories and there's a humanitarian crisis happening there right now. How do y'all not give up hope? Um, One of my mentors, one of my teachers has taught me that hope is a discipline. It's something that we choose to do even when things like it's not natural sometimes, right? But so how, you know, I think it's really, the the heart behind this question is like, there are going to be young people who are going to be experiencing in their activism barriers and setbacks and things like that. And so the heart behind the question is like, how are you as somebody who has been doing this work a little bit longer choosing um, to still find hope in things? Um, At the end of that really long monologue I just gave, the question is, what is giving you hope? And how are you 
uh, practicing that hope in the moment. Uh, Danny went first last time, so I might pass it to Clarissa, or it, honestly, at this point, it's a free-for-all. Whoever wants to jump in. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, you also raised the question, like, how do you remain hopeful? I think there, I think there's no choice, really. I Like, there's just no option. We have to. Um, we have to keep doing the work. We have to remain hopeful because we definitely don't want the alternative for sure. Um, and yeah, I, you know, we're all watching all of the horrific acts that are happening in Ukraine right now. The foreign army has invaded this nation and really trying to diminish the democracy there and take away the Ukrainian people's ability to elect their own leaders and control their own destiny. And you know, while we do face so many challenges, as, as you mentioned, in the United States and, and many more that you didn't mention, um, we do still have the opportunity to make our voices heard and to in free and fair elections um, and to vote for representatives and policies that are in our interests and reflect our interests and have a real impact on our lives. And, you know, we've talked a lot about things happening on the federal level, but there are a lot of really great things happening on the state level and local level. And a lot of times some of that, uh, those policies can really impact our lives even more. Um, and so I think, you know, as we look at internationally and nationally, um, a lot of this for me also still always comes back to that, the community level and the local level. And I think that's where I gain a lot of hope these days as well. Danny, what about you? What's giving you hope right now and how are you practicing that? Um, so I'll say, first of all, that as a long-suffering Washington Commanders, Washington Wizards and Baltimore Orioles fan, I just have a ton of practice in hopelessness um, converting itself into somehow inventing hope over the long horizon. But I would say that I'm much more optimistic about um, the short and long-term or, or the short and medium-term of um, the change that we're hoping to produce at the SLSB Coalition than I am, sadly, about my three favorite sports teams. And that's because um, we get to interact very regularly with a lot of extraordinary young people who, um, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's, they don't know any better. They've just gotten into this game. And um, they bring all of the ideas, energy, and idealism that are needed to create the conditions for long-term positive change. And um, beyond this hope and idealism that they bring to it, they've created, um, I would like to say with our help and the help of a lot of our partners, um, a movement and um, you know, helped form a new generation of voters that has real agency. So it's not just about hope with them, it's about agency, it's about um, a group of young people with the ability to create change, even if it's necessarily going to start small. Um, like Clarissa said, you know, with a lot of things on the state and local level, because national politics is, um, shall we say, not ideal right now, nor is international politics and what's going on in foreign affairs. Um, but uh, every time I get to interact with the students and, and young voters that we're um, working with, I see dedication, I see creativity, uh, I see some just really savvy strategy coming from 20 year olds, which makes me feel awful about who I was as a 20 year old. Um, 
like I could barely tie my shoes, let alone organize a voting coalition. And these kids are just extraordinary. Um, and that's what gives me hope. I, the fact that they not only will be leading, but are already leading and doing incredible things and their movement is only growing and their time is still ahead of them. Yeah, absolutely. I think both of your answers really touched on something that was a theme in the first season of the podcast. We talked to people who were organizing for voting rights 55 years ago. Um, people who were making differences and changes that eventually led to the passage of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, as well as the 26th Amendment. So like, you know, Carissa, one of the things that you had said was just like, there's, there's no, other, there's no other option. You have to, you have to keep going because the, the alternative is like, you give up and like, you can't give up. Like, <laughs> we need you to not give up. And then Danny, you know, your answer really touched on the fact that like, um, there's this like continued hope in intergenerational organizing. Like we know the, the stories of the folks who were fighting 50 years ago. We have our, our knowledge of our time fighting for our own rights. And now we're being able to like do that with the younger generation and seeing what's important to them and passing on like whatever knowledge that we can gain, but also gaining knowledge from them. So this whole idea of like bridging the past to the present and the future to the present is like, what this is all about. And I just think that um, the heart of both of your answers really touched on that, which is really, really cool. Um, so, you know, last question, just to kind of wrap up uh, again, one of the focuses of this season of the podcast is helping younger activists, you know, have the tools and resources necessary to continue doing the change in their communities. So if you had to leave our listeners with one piece of advice, um, what would that be? So I think the one piece of advice that I would have is very much goes along with what you were just talking about, Mo. It's that don't, don't get discouraged. Don't let one election cycle. And if you didn't immediately see the policies that you wanted to see um, implemented or adopt right away, don't get, get discouraged and sit out. The best reaction is to get more motivated and not just turn out again, but turn out three, turn out five, turn out 10 of your friends. That's how we'll get the policies that you want implemented, um, adopted. And that's how we will change our democracy. We'll change our country. We'll change our communities. Absolutely. Danny, what about you? A piece of advice for young activists listening right now? I would, my piece of advice would be you have agency. Um, no matter what the issue is, no matter what the obstacles are um, or the scenario around you, there's something to be done. That doesn't mean that you're going to get immediate results or, um, you know, create the ideal world that you hope to live in right now or even in the end. But you have agency to um, state your opinion, to uh, change other people's minds, to create an organization to create a movement. Um, and that's how big change happens. It happens with small first steps and small change. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as our namesake, Andrew Goodman said that the road to freedom must be uphill, even if it's arduous and frustrating. Um, don't give up, you know, keep going. It's not going to be immediate change, but change will happen and we can do that together. So Thank you all both so much for being here. It was incredible to spend time with you, to hear your answers. And um, yeah, thank you so much. 
This concludes this week's episode of Live the Legacy podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you enjoyed today's episode or any of the other episodes that we have, please leave us a review and rate us. It makes it easier for everybody else to find our podcast. A special thanks to Tabik Music for all the music that you heard on today's episode. Until next time, this has been your host, Mo Banks. Thanks for listening.